Members, we will now move to questions to the Minister of Health. Um, we have a number of questions withdrawn for the topical questions. Number two, Carolyn Killen, and uh, number six, Alex Easton. And um, can I call Claire Sugden to the screens, please? Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Question number one. Um, thank you, Mr. Deputy Speaker. Um, and if I could, I would like to request an extra minute to answer this question, as I know it is of great interest to members and their constituents. My department has undertaken two significant pieces of work to assist those wishing to undertake international travel. First, officials have been working on a comprehensive COVID status certificate system, or CCS, since April, when international standards for information exchange began to emerge. The final CCS will take the form of a printed certificate supplemented by a mobile phone app. This system will provide internationally accepted proof that either the holder has received both vaccine doses at least two weeks prior to travel or has demonstrated immunity to the virus or has received a negative PCR test in the preceding 72 hours. The comprehensive solution is expected to be available before the 19th of July. For those unable to access the automated digital solution, a helpline will be available. Members will appreciate that IT-based solutions requiring access to personal health care records must meet the strictest data protection and cybersecurity standards, and such work cannot be rushed. A second interim solution was developed in an incredibly short period of time. It was made available to the public on Friday evening of last week. Uh, the service was developed after some countries unilaterally decided to require vaccination proof ahead of the EU vaccine passport scheme becoming fully functional. The interim solution will enable people from Northern Ireland travelling to international destinations to show that they have received both vaccine doses. This system was available on the NI Direct website on Friday evening with requests prioritised by attended date of travel. Health and Social Care Board staff are verifying the identity of the requester, locating their vaccine record and preparing a vaccine certificate for collection from one of three vaccine centres and staff are on hand to assist with difficulties that may, be, that may arise. There has been an incredible public response to this interim solution. As of 1pm today, there have been 4,500 applications. Um, for 125 of those travelling today, certificates were made available for collection from one of three collection points yesterday afternoon. The short-term interim arrangements are only for people travelling to foreign countries who require proof of double-dose vaccination up to the 20th of July. The interim doc documentation will have a short-term expiry date and will be of no use to anyone travelling at a later date. And I am sure members would like to join me in thanking the staff from the Health and Social Care Board, HSC Trust staff, the system developers and department officials for developing this interim solution in a matter of days and working over the weekend to enable our citizens to meet the changing requirements for international travel. Thank you, Minister. I call Claire Sugden for a supplementary. Uh, thank you, Deputy Speaker, and thank you, Minister. I think that's really great work, and I know um, I just want to thank the Minister for his attention on this matter. And, um, I've been writing to him on, on a number of occasions, and I think this information today will be greatly received by all those who, who need their uh, passport, if you like. Um, Minister, I read earlier today that the second va vaccination dose can be made um, uh, available at the, the COVID mobile test units. Will this have any implications uh, for the, the vaccine passport in terms of the, the information um, around sharing? that so, so that people can get this documentation? Um, 
It won't, in fact, it allows uh, members of the public to bring their second vaccine dose actually forward in time uh, in regards from what has been already scheduled. Uh, we would encourage people not to because it does keep our sequence and booking systems uh, functional, but if people prefer to do that, if they follow the guidance, it is something that can be done. We wouldn't encourage it, but it does allow people then to provide for the, the transport or the, the vaccine certification and verification documentation at that point in time once they have received their second vaccine. Minister, well done on this. I think this is a huge release for so many people who want to feel sand and sea um, and don't want to travel abroad to get away from things after this, this hard 14 months. Minister, you, you'll recognise that the, the race against the Delta variant is on. Right? And Saturday there was a temporary COVID vaccination centre set up at the Keys in Uri, which with huge take-up. I believe in uh, Craigavon they're now allowing people to rock up without appointment now for, for vaccination. How important do you see this being in the race against this variant? And will those temporary stations be available more readily on a more weekday basis, weekend basis, so more people can access to, to get ahead of this, this uh, Delta variant? Um, and I thank the member. And look, um, other people have used the, the terminology. This is now a race uh, between the vaccine and the variant, and I would I, I would concur with that because the more people we can get vaccinated, not just with their first dose but their second dose, uh, the more protection we can give to the population of Northern Ireland. So the examples that the member quoted over the weekend will be something he will now see replicated across all trust areas. All trusts are moving forward with. Uh, walk-in vaccines, walk-in vaccine centres for the first dose, more located in um, in towns and villages across Northern Ireland, where we've actually identified low, low uptake of vaccines in some cases. But our, our trust centres as well are still operating. They will move to a walk-in, not just for first vaccines, but also for second vaccines as well, as long as people have left the appropriate time between the first and second doses as well. So we're doing everything we can to encourage as much uptake of the vaccine as potentially possible in Northern Ireland. We've seen a great response to date. We've seen a great response from our health and social care system in reacting to the delivery of this vaccine, which only started, if the member recalls, quite a number of months ago rather than a long period of time ago. I call Rosemary Barton. I thank the Minister for his answer so far. Can he provide an update on what steps are being taken to ensure that people who participated in the vaccine trials are not disadvantaged when it comes to securing the appropriate certification? Um, and I thank the member for, for the point that, that she raised because it is actually a significant one and it is relevant to people in Northern Ireland who come forward for vaccine trials but actually received the the placebo dose as well. So rather than seeing them uh, disadvantaged, the four UK CMOs and the Chief Scientific Advisor in Northern Ireland have advised that participants in well-regulated clinical trials should not be disadvantaged as global travel resumes. Participants will not be disadvantaged in terms of any further domestic future vaccine certification compared to anyone else who has had their vaccines under the standard health and social care programme. The vaccine management system used by the CCS will record participants as being vaccinated and all participants in trials have been advised that they have received a vaccine that is not going to be licensed or a placebo that they will remain certified during a grace period to allow them to actually receive the, the standard vaccines if these are recommended by the doctor in charge of the trial. I call Paula Bradshaw. Speaker, Minister, could you just clarify? I, I had a constituent who contacted me that their teenage daughter had only had her first dose. So, what is the what is the time period between the two? Because um, they're worried they won't get on holiday in time. 
Okay. Um, and I thank the member for that. There is no revised guidance in regards to the periods that we're leave, or shortening between uh, the vaccines, and that will depend on what vaccines you got for, for their first dose as well. It's been reduced to six weeks and eight weeks, depending on the vaccine. I have it in here somewhere, and if, if I remember it during the, the rest of this question time, Deputy Speaker, I'll, I'll respond to the member, but I will reply to her in writing in regards to shortening that period between the vaccine doses as well. It is possible, but I wouldn't encourage it because it does upset some of the systems that we already have in place. I call Diane Dodd. Thank you, Mr Deputy Speaker, and can I thank the Minister for his answer so far. We're really pleased that there has been uh, progress in allowing people to travel and the documentation to allow them to travel. But over the last number of months, there has been significant interest in investing in Northern Ireland. Is there any progress in allowing those people who are investors into Northern Ireland, in allowing them to come um, in the way that our national government have allowed exemptions for those people who are um, considering a significant investment in the country? Um, and I thank the member for the point she raised, and I know it is something she raised as Minister of the Economy on, on numerous times. And we always review and revise uh, the travel guidance that we, we undertake when it comes to restrictions under, under guidance from, from our Chief Medical Officer and Chief Scientific Advisor. And the member will know that that is review, reviewed continually, uh, even at a UK level, as to what grades or what individuals are actually exempt from quarantine or providing uh, proof of vaccination. But I think the member will acknowledge as we see vaccines now uh, being widely delivered uh, across the world, that the proof of vaccination and the certification that can be provided uh, now, not just on a Northern Ireland level or a UK level, but also on an EU level, will allow those in individuals who are coming into this country to prove that vaccination certification and standard that will allow them uh, to actually access the country under our, our, our um, traffic light system for guidance and, and internal travel as well. I call Robbie Butler for a question. Two, Mr. Deputy Speaker. Um, I thank the member for, for his question. The vaccine programme continues at pace, and I can confirm to the member that the uptake has been very strong across the Lagan Valley area. There is information on the vaccine uptake and total doses by postcode on my department's the vaccine or the vaccination dashboard. Uh, looking at the nine postcodes within the Lagan Valley Assembly area. There were 142,755 first doses, 105,955 second doses, and I'm sure the member will join me in commending all those who have already come forward in the area and played their part in helping to protect themselves, as well as helping to protect those around them. As well as thanking all those involved in the vaccine programme for the dedication and ongoing commitment, our best way out of this pandemic is through vaccination and the vaccination programme has been designed uh, to be both agile and pragmatic to try and make it as easy as possible for people to be vaccinated. While the figures mentioned are impressive, we will be striving to drive the uptake rates for firsts and second doses even higher. Call Pat Catney for a question. 
Could you? Excuse um, me, excuse me. Sorry, I forgot to call Robbie there for a supplementary. Excuse me, Ro- uh, Mr. <laughs> Butler for a supplementary. I'm sure Mr. Catney will defer to you there, OK? Thank you. <laughs> uh, thank you, Mr. Uh, Deputy Speaker. Thank the Minister for his recognition of the sterling efforts of people right across Northern Ireland and indeed Lagan Valley, my constituency, for the, the level up, of uptake. I want to thank the Minister, his department, and the Trust for the Grab a Job uh, initiative at the weekend. Is it too early to ask the Minister for an update in terms of how, uh, how popular that's been? And would he like to join me in commending the South Eastern Trust for their Grab a Job, Get a Poke initiative um, and give them a free ice cream with the, the, the job this week? Uh, I, I thank the member for that. But um, in, in his last comments, I, I do have to raise a slight concern, Mr. Deputy Speaker, um, because grabbing a poke from where I come from has actually quite, quite a different <laughs> meaning. Uh, so while it translates well in some areas of this country, I'm glad that the member clarified it was ice cream, um, because I can assure him that that is all that, uh, and anyone going, that is all that is involved, and that's all they will get, as well as, as, their, as their vaccine as well. So while terminology is always important and language is always important in this House, I, I do want to clarify that point. But I would like to thank the member for, uh, I suppose, highlighting the different approaches that we are now seeing across a number of different trusts in regards to that encouragement of bringing uh, actually people forward and the number of um, on-street and, and walk-in uh, vaccine uh, pop-up clinics that we actually saw over the weekend are actually targeting those people who have missed uh, and haven't uh, availed of the, of the more formal programme or for more formal settings that we have set. So, again, I just want to acknowledge all the people who have come forward, but still encourage, Mr Deputy Speaker, those who haven't had their vaccine or their ice cream in the South Eastern Trust to come forward. Thank you, Mr Deputy Speaker, and thank you, Minister. Sorry for jumping in ahead of you there, Robbie, but uh, it, didn't, it didn't cost you any time anyhow, just a wee mistake. Uh, Minister, I heard the the great figures there that have come from Lagan Valley, uh, just as you uh, asked uh, the, uh, Mr Butler. Um, can you tell me, Minister, what messaging does your department have to encourage further uptake of the vaccination, especially amongst our young people? And I thank the member for he does highlight, I suppose, as we referenced, you know, the different uh, avenues that we are taking now and are promoting in regards to reaching those and getting the message in right. And it is about getting the vaccine, uh, not just to protect yourself, but to protect others. One of the concerns that we do have in regards especially to young people contracting COVID is not the immediate effect, uh, but is what is now established as long COVID. Uh, so there's always that, that chance that anyone who contacts, contracts COVID uh, may not end up in hospital now or an ICU now or may not transmit it immediately to, to a loved one or a work colleague or a family member. But the long-term effect may be something that, that they, they, they haven't planned for or don't take into consideration. So it's easier for people to come forward and take up the vaccines when they are available and are available now and, and large-scale and multi-sources multi across Northern Ireland as well. So I thank the member for encouraging those, especially in the younger age groups, uh, to come forward and get the vaccine while it's available. Called Gordon Lyons. Speaker, and I, I welcome the uh, high uptake of the vaccine in Lagan Valley. But would the minister be able to tell us if he has any areas of particular concern geographically about the uptake of the vaccine, and uh, does he have concerns uh, about any potential urban-rural divide? And I thank the member. And actually, our, our vaccine dashboard does indicate, you know, where you can see geographically across 
uh, Northern Ireland where there are con concerns about low uptake. And I think what the member will actually see is that's where we are concentrating some of our, our mobile uh, testing facilities. So in the middle of Belfast City Centre, Castle Well and uh, Newry and the Keys. So all those areas uh, where we've seen low uptake, we are doing that outreach programme now. We've also expanded into various workplace systems, should it be the fishermen in Kilkeel, food processing factories as well, so that we encourage uh, anyone who is eligible, and especially those who are sometimes at higher risk, to come forward and get the vaccine. And we're trying to make that as easy uh, as is possible, and that's what the, the idea of these walk-in clinics are. Aram Sir, Anya Murphy, Fanya Cash, I call Anya Murphy for a question. Very welcome to see you, and good, good that you're with us here. So, um, thank you, Minister. As a new MLA representing a largely rural constituency, I welcome the deployment of mobile COVID vaccination clinics at the weekend. Can I ask the minister when we will see these mobile COVID clinics being used to deliver vaccinations to dispersed rural communities? and to harder-to-reach minority communities in Fermanagh and other parts of the North. Um, can I first of all welcome the member uh, to her place? And I look forward to working with her um, over the, the remaining months um, of, of this mandate. In regards to um, actually the member refers to is, is what additional walk-in clinics will be available specifically in the West of the province or under the Western Trust. Uh, further mobile and pop-up clinics are planned in July and walk-in first doses are available actually in OMA from today in the foil arena from tomorrow. And I would encourage all those eligible not yet vaccinated to make use of these clinics to protect themselves. Uh, every vaccination counts as we face a potential spike in infections. And throughout the vaccination programme, the Western Trust has operated vaccination centres at three locations across the Western Trust, Londonderry, uh, Oma and Enniskillen, to ensure that that access covers all. Um, so I would encourage the member to speak to her uh, constituencies as well to make sure that they do avail uh, of all the opportunities to, for people to actually uptake and get the vaccine. I call Chris Little. Speaker, given the importance of messaging to vaccination, can I ask the Health Minister why the executive COVID-19 weekly press conference has ceased despite the ongoing nature and risk of this infectious disease pandemic? I suppose that the substantive response of that would actually come from the Executive Office as to uh, the First and Deputy First Minister heading up uh, those bulletins. Uh, in regards to, I suppose, the still regular briefings and media briefings that my department through the CMO and CSA provide, we do that. Uh, not at the, uh, the, the stand-up podium briefings any, any longer, but also at a fortnightly media-specific briefing where the CMO and CSA make themselves uh, accessible uh, to all media outlets on a range of substances and questions as well. The members correct. Look, the more joined-up messaging, the more messaging that we have, especially coming in um, to this crucial period and how we fight this pandemic, is important. I've said from, from this place in the past, when we're all given the same message, um, it all helps, and that's especially in regards to vaccines. And I'm, I am uh, pleased that every uh, party, not just in the executive, but across this House, has indicated the importance of vaccine, vaccination and for those people to actually get not just the first dose, but their second dose. I call Harry Harvey for a question. Thank you very much, Deputy Speaker. A question three, Minister, please. I, I thank the member for his question. It is accepted that the COVID-19 pandemic lockdown and other restrictions have all had a negative impact on our population's mental well-being. 
The Health and Social Care Board has explored the evidence around the rising demand in mental health care and treatment and has made a series of initial projections on how this would translate in the Northern Ireland context. It estimates that there will be up to 32% more new referrals to mental health services over the next three years. A key element of responding to this emerging mental health need has been the development of a new mental health strategy, 2021-31, which I published on the 29th of June. It sets the future strategic direction for mental health in Northern Ireland for the next decade and takes full cognizance of the impact of the pandemic. My department and the Health and Social Care Board are also working together on the development of a regional mental health surge and rebuild plan, which will outline the proposed approach to the medium and longer term planning for managing and surge and rebuild. This will work across the stepped uh, care framework in line with the 10-year strategy, together with the key actions required over the next six to 12 months to manage increasing referral rates and to prepare for longer-term rebuild, reform and redesign. This work will be overseen by a mental health pandemic response group, which will be chaired by the department and will comprise colleagues from the Health and Social Care Board, PHA and Health and Social Care and Trusts. And can I thank the member uh, this morning for attending uh, the lunch of the £10 million Mental Health Fund. It was good to see him there and also realising and acknowledging the importance of that fund. Supplementary for Harry Harvey. Thank you very much, Deputy Speaker, and thank you, Minister, for your answers thus far. Does the Minister believe that the development of crisis coffees, such as are available in Newry, are the way forward to provide easier access for mental health services? Thank you. And I thank the member. Uh, the Newry based uh, Well Bean Cafe, which is run by PIPS, uh, Hope and Support, in partnership with the Southern Trust, I think is a good example of that. Uh, the cafe itself provides a clinical alternative to emergency departments to actually reduce mental and emotional distress. And I think the pop up style uh, cafe is actually based on a Leeds model and has been co produced by those with lived experience and those working in the area of mental health promotion and suicide prevention from both the community and voluntary and statutory services. The crisis cafes are not a replacement for existing services, but a complement to them. By providing quick and easy access to early intervention and prevention, we can improve the outcomes for our population. And my officials are currently considering the future of crisis services, and the crisis cafe in Newry is one of the positive examples of new initiatives that will form the way forward in this important area. Minister, just I'm conscious that I wasn't able to be here in the chamber last week and I do want to acknowledge um, the hugely significant announcement that you did make in publishing the 10-year mental health um, strategy and funding plan. Uh, maybe just on that, um, I know that there is some detailed figures within the strategy and the funding plan around um, different service developments that you hope to progress. And I was wondering if the Minister could outline how you arrived at some of those costs and if a needs analysis um, was carried out to you know, sort of determine to make sure that, um, the, that the, the, the demand is being met in whatever way you're breaking down those costs. And I thank the member for that point because, um, as, she be, as she will be aware, not just um, um, not only did we pro actually produce the mental health strategy, I did produce the fund, the cost and plan beside it because I think it is important to 
indicate just to the members to this House, but also to executive colleagues, uh, that there is a commitment within my department to really drive forward the changes that we need to see um, in mental health. Uh, those updates, those costings were done at, at, at I, I suppose, a, a, a quite a granular level within my department to ensure that we were being realistic about any financial ask that we were going to have to make to, to not just the, the Department of Finance or the Minister of Finance, but also to prove that case to the executive as well. So that's why that work was underdone and why both documents were produced at the same time. I call Alan Chambers. Deputy Speaker, I thank the Minister for his answers thus far. Uh, the recently published 10-year mental health strategy makes clear that mental health is one of the Minister's top priorities, and I thank him for that. I especially welcome today's opening of the Mental Health Support Fund. What sort of impact does he expect it will have in supporting the essential contribution made by our community and voluntary sector organisations? Thank you. Um, and I thank the member, and I was pleased to announce uh, on launch this morning the £10 million, uh, Mental Health Support Fund, which I opened this morning. Uh, there was nearly 200 uh, representatives of different, different voluntary and community groups uh, represented there. The fund is open to all charitable organisations that offer support services to people with mental ill health throughout Northern Ireland. Um, groups are invited to submit proposals on key themes, all of which are linked to improving the mental health and emotional well-being of the population, and the fund itself will equip and enable these charitable organisations to provide a wide range of support services for people with mental ill health and help to ensure that those who need to can continue to access mental health support services in the community. Um, to manage demand, applications will be staggered, and those applications for large projects are actually being accepted immediately, and those for smaller projects will be accepted in September 2021. And the member will be aware the fund itself has been managed by the Community Foundation Northern Ireland and is now accessible via the Community Foundation website. Call Claire Bailey for a question. Deputy Speaker, question four, please. Um, I, I thank the member. Firstly, it is important to state that Informing Choices Northern Ireland. Uh, formerly the Family Planning Association Northern Ireland, received substantial public funding from my department and the Public Health Agency to approximately £137,000 each year to support the provision of free sexual health advice and counselling. That service includes phone and web-based non-directive advice, counselling and literature on a range of issues for people, uh, people who are often young, vulnerable or in crisis, and that includes contraception, STIs, pregnancy choices, as well as sexual health and relationship education for people with learning disabilities. In addition, last year I awarded a further £15,000 grant to Informing Choices as part of an uplift to all core funded bodies in recognition of the financial challenges faced by the voluntary community sector during the COVID-19 pandemic. With regard to the additional funding request, I can confirm that my department is currently considering a request for further funding from Informing Choices to support its decision to provide a central access point into the early medical abortion services which trusts began to provide from April 2020 in line with their statutory responsibilities under law. That remains under consideration and I have not received final uh, advice on that yet, but I am aware that officials, my officials are engaging with Informing Choices and are carrying out the usual due diligence checks in relation to that request, as you would expect. In light of the extreme funding pressures facing my department at present, I have written to the Northern Ireland Office Minister of State, Robin Walker, 
to request additional funding to support these services because as yet the Westminster Government has not provided any additional funding to my department since in introducing the abortion regulations in March 2020. And last week, Minister Walker again confirmed that the funding support I have requested will not be forthcoming. Claire Bailey for a supplementary. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. And I would like to also declare an interest as a board member of Informant Choices NI. And while the Minister may think that the, the funding they receive is substantial from his department, I can assure you that it's uh, not sufficient in order to cover the demand for the services that they do offer. But, Minister, this was being discussed last week on BBC uh, Radio's Women's Hour. Um, and at the end of this discussion, they read out a response that had been passed on to them from your department, talking about the provision in the Western Social Care Trust. Um, and the statement from your department um, said that the, the services for EMA have been temporarily paused due to staffing resource issues since April 2021 and that your department were monitoring ongoing efforts by the Trust to roll out services. Minister, given that your department have not implemented, have not funded and have not established any services at all, could I ask what you mean by temporarily paused due to staffing resource issues? And I thank the member, and I know she, she has raised this issue uh, numerous times in the past, and I, I will refer her back to the position that has been um, confirmed that this issue is cross-cutting and controversial, and is not a decision for me or my department to take, but is actually one uh, for the executive to take. In regards to the pausing of Health and Social Care Trust uh, services, uh, at this point it is not known how long services will be paused in the Western Trust. It is my understanding that efforts are ongoing to put additional staff in place as soon as possible and to resume provision of an EMA service and with minimum disruption. And my department continues to, to monitor this, this, this situation. But in the meantime, on the event of a, a prolonged pause, it is likely that women residing in the Western Trust area will be referred to the central contact point, uh, which remains available to women from Northern Ireland, which is managed by the British Pregnancy Advice Service. Here, Mayor Colum Gildenew for Hunya Kesh. I call Colum Gildenew for a question, and if we could make it fairly brief, please, we're running out of time. Minister, you do refer to the letter from the 16th of June uh, when you wrote to the Health Committee and advised that you are working to develop a service specification for the commissioning. It has now been 14 months since the abortion regulations were made. When will you complete that work, and when will that service actually be delivered? Um, and again, I refer the member back to, to the point that will be will be made. My department has uh, resumed planning work to deliver a service commissioning specification. That work will consider setting uh, in place the most appropriate access arrangements uh, for women seeking abortion. But as I have stated previously, under the Ministerial Code, I am required to bring any matter which is significant or controversial and clearly outside the scope of the programme for government to the Executive for consideration and agreement. It is not possible at present to provide a precise time scale for the introduction of a fully commissioned abortion service. However, it is estimated that this work will take approximately nine to twelve months to complete. That ends the period for listed questions. We will now move to fifteen minutes of topical questions. I guess the items are Orlea Flynn for Newcast. I call Orlea Flynn for a question. Um, Minister, on the fourteenth of June I had asked you in the chamber around um, the pelvic and hernia mesh implant scandal and around the Belfast Mesh Clinic, the dates for reopening. 
Um, you had stated just the other week there that the Belfast Trust were looking at a reopening date, and I'm just wondering if you can confirm a, a date for us today. Um, and I thank the member. I'm aware of, of Mesh Ireland and their admirable efforts to, to help Mesh injured, injured women. In previous correspondence with that group, I addressed their comments while indicating that the issues uh, they were raising reinforced similar issues raised by representatives of another group with whom I recently met. A further meeting on this issue was therefore not necessary, and that focus should be on the rebuilding of health services. The Belfast Health and Social Care Trust Mesh Centre collaborated with the, the Specialist Centre in Bristol, uh, and the service actually resumed work on the 17th of June with one clinic per week. This, uh, unfortunately, is reduced capacity due to COVID risk assessments and having to reduce footfall within the Belfast City Hospital. Supplementary question for Orlea Flynn. Kesht Orlea Flynn. Okay, Minister, um, well, that, thanks very much. That's good to know, although it's reduced capacity, the fact that the, it, it is starting to you know, operate again. So I'm glad to hear that. Um, I'm, I'm conscious that this week we're also one year on from the Julia Cumberley's report, and I know that you're, you're probably going to be making an announcement on that soon. But just on the back of that report, Minister, I'm wondering if you can confirm if there is any plans here locally to look at reimbursing um, women and patients who have to travel to access private health care um, to fully and safely remove these mesh implants. I know there's been some progress over in Scotland recently. And just if you have any update on that, thank you. Um, and I thank, thank the member. Uh, she'll be aware of, or just of, of the extent of the Cumberledge report. Um, and my officials are continuing to work and develop our response and are working closely with colleagues actually across the United Kingdom in that regard. Uh, the work of the group I set up to consider the report and engage with UK colleagues has been progressing on a number of recommendations. And as the member said, I hope to be able to provide a fuller detail uh, shortly on the work of this group. Uh, not all recommendations are within my power to, to take forward as Minister for Health as they reside with the Department of Health and Social Care in London. But we are continuing to engage with them uh, from a Northern Ireland context. Question number two has been withdrawn. Move to question number three. Mr Stephen Dunn, please. Thank you, Mr Deputy Speaker. The Minister will be well aware of the pressures our health service faces annually over the autumn and winter period. Can I just ask the Minister what plans does his department have uh, to bolster, bolster frontline services, including in particular improving access, um, public access and face-to-face -face access with GPs? Thank you. Um, um, I, I thank the member for, for his question. Um, can I welcome him to the House? Um, un, un, unfortunately, in such circumstances that, that he actually comes here, but I do welcome him uh, to this place. In regards to GP services, the service uh, itself is working to make best use of available resources for everyone who is seeking to access the care that they need. GP practices are open and providing both face-to-face -face appointments and alternative consultation options for patients as appropriate. The general practice telephone first consultation process allows patients to seek timely medical advice from their GP for both routine and urgent problems. The GP determines the most appropriate uh, approach to safely addressing the patient's needs using their clinical expertise, and the GP then decides if the patient can't be managed over the telephone or if they should be signposted or directed to other appropriate services or if, based on the GP's assessment, a face-to-face -face appointment um, is actually appropriate. It is important to be clear about the extent to which primary care was already facing considerable pressures as well, and that is even before having to cope with the sustained pandemic situation 
and that's why we're investing both in technology in regards to supporting GP practices, but also the initiatives and such as our multidisciplinary team programme, uh, the introduction of advanced nurse practitioners and additional general practice nurses uh, have already made a difference on how the services are actually being delivered in primary care. Mr Dunn for a supplementary. Thank you, Mr Deputy Speaker, and thank you, Minister, for your, your answer and for your welcome. There has been some discussion around a booster third jab across Northern Ireland. Can I just ask, um, will that be offered to everyone in Northern Ireland? And what role do you envisage our GPs having um, in administering that? Do you, do you see them having a central role rather than the regional centres? And will it be determined by age or vulnerability? Thank you. Um, I, I thank the member for the, for the very, um, I suppose, pertinent question that he does ask, both in regards to boosters and where they will be delivered. At this moment in time, the JCVI has made an, an additional uh, readout that boosters will be uh, necessary for those clinically extremely vulnerable and in the older age gr groups. They are still assessing the, the, the need for that, but we are preparing should it be necessary and should they decide that that is the best way to go. Uh, and as the member will be aware, we always follow JCVI uh, advice and guidance. We have assessed and we do believe that the GP services will be the best place actually to, to deliver that booster programme because there is an option also being considered at this point in time, although not confirmed, that we actually run COVID boosters in conjunction with the flu jab as well because we are looking at a, a large crossover in regards to the cohorts who will both be accessible to the flu vaccine but also required to take or recommended to take a COVID booster, a booster uh, as well. Here, sir, Keeve Archibald, behind your cash, I call Keeve Archibald for a question. Um, Gurmag, at last can call you. Minister, I was wondering if you could provide an update on gallbladder surgery waiting times and how this will be addressed in the elective care plan. Gurmag. I, I thank the member um, for her questions. In, in regards to gallbladder specific uh, numbers and where we currently are, I do not have those, those figures in front of me, and I am sure the member could, could understand that. But she will be aware that when we published the elective care framework. Uh, the framework actually set out a five-year plan with firm time-bound proposals for how we will systematically tackle the backlog of patients waiting longer than ministerial standards and how we actually invest in and transform services to allow us to meet the population's demand in, in the future. Our current system of one-year budget cycles contributes to the inefficiency within the, the system as it does not allow us to plan services properly and the framework takes a multi-year funding approach to tackle the backlog of patients waiting longer than ministerial standards. Uh, as the member is aware, I have asked the executive uh, for £707.5 million to, of additional investment to be made available over fi a five-year period to implement the framework and that will reduce the backlog of patients and build HSC capacity to meet annual demand for services. And subject to that funding commitment, the department made clear uh, is that by March 2026, no one should wait more than 52 weeks for a first outpatient appointment or inpatient day case treatment or 26 weeks for diagnostic appointment, and that by March 2026, we will have eradicated the gap between demand and capacity for elective care. Okay, Archibald, supplementary question for Keeve Archibald. 
Um, and I thank the Minister for his response. I, I recently received a response from the Western Trust that the waiting time for a gallbladder removal surgery is over six years, which I was really taken aback by. It's a very long time for someone to be waiting in pain. And for those who are facing lengthy waits for an appointment or surgery, it can have devastating impacts. So how will the Department or the Trust um, record or monitor impacts on individual patients associated with such lengthy delays? And I thank the member, you know, and I can assure in, in regards to, to the issue in the constituent that she raises, I receive many of those on a daily basis, as does, does my department and I'm sure other elected representatives in this House. And that's why we went about and actually published the elective care framework, because of people waiting such extensive period of times. Um, we do, Mr Deputy Speaker, um, celebrate today and not just the, the birth or the birthday of the National Health Service but also the recognition that Her Majesty the Queen has given in regarding uh, providing or, or awarding our health and social care system with the George Cross. But also, we have acknowledged here um, in Northern Ireland that the length of time of our waiting lists, the underfunding of the last 10 years, has really challenged that key precept of our National Health Service, which is free at the point of delivery, free at the point of use, and free at the point of, of need as well. And not only was that, uh, I suppose, the concept that Nye Bevan uh, created the National Health Service, but also my party colleague and predecessor, uh, the Health Minister William Grant, uh, the MP for William uh, for uh, Belfast and Dunkern, when he brought forward the, the Health Service Bill here in this place uh, on the 10th of July in 1947. Kelly Armstrong for a question. Deputy Chamber, uh, Speaker, sorry. Um, and I'd like to join the Minister absolutely in congratulating our health service, who are literal lifesavers um, for the work that they do and the very deserved award that they have been given. Uh, Minister, I've asked you before about care and um, care day centres and respite, and you were to update or to look at a review to see how that was coming along so that we could have more day centres and respite opened. Could you give the House an update, please? I thank the member uh, for her point, and I'd have been surprised if she hadn't uh, have raised it. Uh, what I actually committed to do was actually ask the public health agency to do an assessment of those centres in regards to where we are in regards to social distancing, face covering, and also if testing can make a make a, dif a difference in regards to how many people we could actually have in each specific centre at that time. Uh, that assessment has not been completed yet and has not been responded to or applied uh, either to the Health and Social Care Board or to my to, to my department. But as soon as it will, I'll take action on the recommendations that we we have. We, we, we have they do provide, because as the member has highlighted here, as we've debated in here, as we all recognise, uh, the the additional service that those respite centres, even should it be for daycare, actually provide uh, to carers is invaluable and is actually priceless. Kelly Armstrong for a supplementary. And I thank the Minister and his commitment for um, taking on this issue. It's a very important one for me and for many across Northern Ireland. And indeed, just before I come into the Chamber, um, there was an email circulated around to all MLAs about from Action for Children with an update about young carers. Young carers have just left school for the year um, and are now faced with a summer without respite and day centre support um, to give them commitment. I'm just wondering, Minister, as far as the trusts are concerned, what support will you be asking those trusts to provide those young carers? so they're not further exhausted before they start back to school again in September? Uh, and again, I, I think the, the member raises a, a very special cohort um, of carers that often go um, unrecognised and unacknowledged, especially as those young carers 
who are balancing not just a caring responsibility, either be for a parent or another sibling, uh, but also while they undertake their own educational uh, challenges as well. Uh, one of the things that she, she will be aware of is actually the £4 million uh, investment we made to carers' organisations that they could actually put in bidding proposals as to how they support specific uh, groups of carers. I am aware the early indication is there is a number of bids and applications in from organisations who will specifically look at supporting young carers. I am um, not in a position to provide any further update until those awards have, or those uh, applications have actually been accepted uh, and assessed and uh, nominations have been announced, but I will keep the member up to date in regards to that. And I call Ms Rachel Woods. We have time for a quick question. Thank you, Mr Deputy Speaker. I thank the Minister for, answers so for, for his answers so far. I am sorry if the Minister has already answered this, but I can't hear very well from back here. But um, on the 2nd of July, your department issued a press release stating that an interim scheme for foreign travel uh, vaccine proof would be available for travel up to and including the 19th of July. But what advice do you have for someone who is travelling on the 20th of July and requires proof of vaccination? I think the member, um, the member if she wants, she, she can check hands hard. It's the first question that was actually asked under question time. That specific issue wasn't covered. The interim service that we are providing on the paper-based system through our Health and Social Care Board will be effective up until the, the 20th of July. Our hope and our intention and everything going well as it currently is, the UK-wide certification programme will be up and running and will actually, on the, by the 20th of July, will actually take into considering the worst-case scenario, which is 10 days of a delivery of a certificate. Uh, so that's why we're stepping down our internal uh, Northern Ireland-specific process, so that in that case the UK process will be up and running by that point in date. Again, it's something we'll keep uh, under constant review. Uh, we have received 4,500 applications for our internal service up until 1pm today, and we are assessing them on the date of travel, so the, sooner, the closer that people are actually travelling to, to today, uh, those applications are being prioritised. Okay. Thank you, Minister. Uh, Time is now up. As if members just take their ease while we move to the next item, which is an urgent oral question, please.